Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. My name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm so glad that you are with us this morning, that you're here, and uh, that you've chosen to be here this morning. Um, real quick question, how many of you were here last week for Easter Sunday? Yeah, a lot of you. There were 817 of you here last week. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. Um, we had as many people on, uh, at our church as we've ever had, and that was great. And, and that's um, really exciting, and it's good news. But I'll tell you, the really good news is we had 24 people raise their hands to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that great? That's the best news. And that's why we do what we do, isn't it? That's why we're here. It's why God uh, put us into existence. And one of the things that I promised you and I promised God is, is that when we, had, when we had successes, that we wouldn't give ourselves the glory, that we would give Him the glory. And so let's do that right now. Let's go to God in prayer and just thank Him for what He has done. Father God, we are amazed at all that you're doing um, in the life of our church. We're humbled by it. God, keep us that way. Um, God, we're thankful that there were 817 people and even more thankful that there were 24 people who said yes to you. God, they made a choice to choose heaven and not hell, to choose good, not evil, to choose you, life, the giver of life and eternal life. And God, we celebrate that. We celebrate with the angels in heaven because your word says that every time someone comes to know you, that the angels rejoice. And we rejoice right along with them this morning. Father God, as we dive into over these next few weeks on what it means to serve you in our community and in our world, God, I pray that you would just guide our hearts and our minds. Father God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts and that you would search us. And God, even today as we describe what the church was really meant to be, what you established the church as, God, I pray that you would change our minds and that you would investigate our hearts and show us where we need to be challenged, reveal where we need to be encouraged, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do that. Lead us into all wisdom. May my words not be mine, but may they be yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, a few years after Cynthia and I got married, um, which was many, many moons ago, um, I, I went to, uh, we were living in Atlanta at the time, and I went to a concert with some buddies of mine. And uh, we were all newlyweds, and so, you know, we went to the concert. It was at 7 p.m., and we made sure that we got back home because we were all newlyweds, and that's what newlywed guys do. They get home early, right? Okay, so we went to this concert. We were on the north side of Atlanta, and the concert was packed, and uh, we got done with the concert, and we got into my buddy's brand-new 1999 Honda Accord, and his name was Tony, and he was driving, and so we jumped in there, and uh, we started down the street, which if you've ever been to a concert, there's always post-concert traffic, isn't there? And we were right in the middle of post-concert traffic there on the north end of Atlanta. And we were looking for a way to get around the traffic. And Tony spotted this road that went over the interstate, back down under, and went onto the interstate. Nobody was on the road. We were like, that's where we need to be. So Tony figured out a way to get over, and he drove and drove and drove, and he got over, and he, we crossed the interstate, and he looked down to the right where that road was, and he said, guys, is this going to be good? And we're like, yeah, absolutely, no traffic, of course it's good, we'll get home sooner, we'll miss all the traffic. And he turned down the road, and we were like, all right, right on the interstate, on our way home. 
And then we heard a little tapping against Tony's car. And we heard a little more tapping. And as he sped up, the tapping got louder and louder and louder. And Tony finally came to a complete stop, and he opened up the door, and we realized that that road had just been tarred. <laughs> and so did Tony's car get tar tarred that night. <laughs> and so we finally got home. But we realized that we had missed something on the way. We had missed this big sign that said, under construction. <laughs> as we turned around, we could see it right there, but because it was night, we had missed it. I think that uh, some of us who have been in church for a long time have missed a sign. And that is, as God's word tells us, that the church is a place that is under construction. Let me dig a little deeper on that. The church is a place where people can come to that their lives are allowed to be under construction. The church ought to be a place where people's lives are allowed to be under construction. And it doesn't matter whether you've been in church all of your life, you know, you were the first infant in your church, in church, and you've been every Sunday for all of your life, or if today is your first Sunday, or maybe Easter was your first Sunday, you need to understand that the real mission, the real meaning of the church was to be a place where people could come to and have their lives investigated by God's Holy Spirit and be challenged to change, not a place where they're excluded. And I know that there are many of you out there who your view of church is skewed by your experience. And for you, church is a place where only good people go. Church is a place where you get your life all shaped up and then you test the waters and then you become a part. Church is a place where people go who have life all figured out. Church is a place where people go who their kids behave perfectly all the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. I heard my wife over here laugh at that one. So anyway, that just tells you something. Church for you is a place where you can't laugh, you can't cry, you can't reveal yourself to anyone or even God because you will feel judged. Many of you have had that church experience, and because you've had that church experience, for you, church is a place where people go whose lives are all great. Under construction has happened a long time ago, and everything is perfectly fine. And that should be the furthest thing from the truth if we take a look at God's word. I want you to hear something this morning. The church is a movement established by God among people who have made the decision to follow him, but it is open for people who are investigating, people whose lives have been torn up and broken. It's a place for both. I think the reason that we misunderstand that is maybe because of our experience, but I think the other reason that we misunderstand that is we don't understand the journey that the church has been on for 2,000 years. So I'm going to take two minutes, and I'm going to give you 2,000 years of church history. So some of you who are like theologians, you're like, all right, finally, great, this is awesome. And some of you might go to sleep. No, the, the 
early formation of the church is very misunderstood nowadays, and I think this will give you a groundwork to understand where the church has come from and maybe where it is meant to be going. So bear with me for a moment. It's interesting. There are two words that I want to talk about this morning. The one word is where we actually get the word church from. It's from a German word called Kirch. You see, back centuries ago when they translated the Bible, the church at that time was a place that you went. And so they translated it appropriately to mean a place you went from the original Greek, and they translated it kirch. The meaning of kirch is a place where the Lord dwells, or dwelling house of the Lord. And that's great. That's awesome. But it's not the original intent that God established the church with. The word that Jesus used, which we'll look at in a moment, is a word called ekklesia. And ekklesia in the Greek means a movement of the people of God. That's quite a different meaning, isn't it? What we view as, as a place God intended to be a movement or a gathering of his people. The church began as a movement. It started as a movement. I mean, the first century Christians, they were persecuted, but God's Holy Spirit was moving among them. They were moved internally, but because they were persecuted, they were moved to the uttermost parts of the world, and the spread of the gospel was like wildfire back then in the first century. It was amazing because the people were persecuted and because God was moving in their lives and in their hearts, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, that's where we get the word gospel from, the gospel was spread at, as far as the earth at that point in time was known in the Roman world. And so it was a movement, literally internally and externally. The people were on fire and the Holy Spirit was moving in their lives, but the mission and the, the actual movement was moving around the world. Then something happened in the third century of the church. The Roman emperor Constantine, he became a Christ follower, and he made Christianity, these followers of Jesus, the state religion. That sounds good, doesn't it? And it was good because persecution dropped, but here's what happened. The church began to change. Once organized and made the state religion, it morphed into an establishment. The church became very well organized. For some of you, are like, man, that sounds really good. I like organization. I'm one of you. I like organization. You can ask my staff. I like stuff well organized. I don't actually like to put the time in to do it, but they do that for me. But I like things very well organized. The church, I want you to hear this, the church in its original form was not organized. It was not very well organized, but it became that way when the government took it over. And as time went on, church and government officials brought in more control, and as time went on, religious leaders transitioned the church to be a locked down and controlled by church leaders and traditions. Religious leaders transitioned the church to be locked down and controlled by church leaders and traditions. It's interesting, during this period of time in church history, and for a long time in church history, the word of God, the Bible, was actually locked to the podium where the pastor would preach from. And so any opportunity that the common person had to read the word of God itself was locked down. 
Cynthia and I had a neighbor friend years ago who grew up in a church that was an establishment that wasn't a movement. And she grew up every Sunday going to church. And we kind of introduced her to this movement of God. And she got on fire for that. And she said, you know, in all my years of going to this church that I've been to, not once, not one time have I ever opened God's word. Some of you may be just like her. You've gone to church all your lives, but you just don't know the word of God. I'm here to set you free. That's not your fault. That's because the church became a lockdown and controlled institution. Does the word institution sound to you like a place where God's Holy Spirit can move and guide and lead? No. God meant for the church to be a movement. During all of this time, during the persecution, during the famines, during wars, during all these centuries, however, the original intent of the church has survived and continues today to be a recognized movement, not just an establishment. You see, there's always been people who have believed not in the establishment of the church, but in the church as God intended, this movement, this gathering together of his people, watching God's Holy Spirit work in and among them, and then sending them out. It's always existed. It might have been small during some centuries. It might have been, you know, beneath the surface, hidden in some centuries, but it always has prevailed. It's remarkable to think about that. During all of these centuries, two millennia, that the church has actually survived, that the real ecclesia, the movement of God has survived. Jesus said it would survive. Take a look at Matthew 16, 18. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus essentially said in 2013, after so many wars, after so many famines, after so many natural disasters, after so much persecution, the church, the ecclesia, that's the word he used, will stand. It will survive. And it has. And it has here on Hilton Head Island Community Church because many of you believe in the movement of God, not an establishment or an institution. This is the real church, the ecclesia, the movement of God among a group of people. I want you to hear this. We at Hilton Head Island Community Church, we're a part of this. We're a part of the ecclesia, the movement, the gathering of God's people behind his cause. What does that mean in 2013? Well, it means that we're a part of that original movement But it also means that we need to stay true, that we need to protect, and that we need leaders to protect the real intent of the church as God designed it from the beginning. Take a look at your notes this morning. How will we at Hilton Head Island Community Church stay true to the original purpose of the church? Over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to talk about going out in our community. We're going to talk about how we're going to do that. We're going to talk about how we can take the message of Jesus to the world. But I believe, first and foremost, we need to understand who we are and what we're supposed to do. That's what we're going to look at today. First of all, we will share the message of Jesus Christ, and we will help people develop their spiritual journey with God. This is our mission. We will share the message of Jesus Christ, and we will help people to develop their spiritual journey with God. Our mission is to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead others to follow him. 
Some of you are like, yeah, that's awesome. That's nice and succinct. Great job, Todd, on, on developing a great mission statement for the church, for Hilton Head Island Community Church. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, y'all. Some of you may think that's a great statement, and I'm so glad that the staff and the elders came up with it. Yeah, we made it our own, but you know what? That mission drives directly at the mission that Jesus told the disciples and the rest of his followers that they needed to be about all the way back at the beginning of his ministry. Actually, it was after he was, had died and resurrected again, he came back to earth. We talked about that last week. And he shared these words. Take a look at them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a twofold part of what Jesus says that the church needs to be about. That's the mission right there. That's it right there. And it's two parts. It's proclaiming the message. That's the be baptized. That's the part where we say that we're going to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ. But it's twofold. The other part of that is teaching others to follow him. That's where we come up with it. We're going to lead others to follow him. We didn't come up with this. This was Jesus. That's our mission. It's the original intent that Jesus himself had for the church. That is our mission. And while we must have a mission, we also must have a method. Take a look at point number two. And let's talk about the method. We will not be partial in extending grace and truth. This is our method. We will not be partial in extending grace and truth. Let me take a moment and define grace and truth as best I can. I had someone come up to me afterwards in the first service and say, what, was, what does grace mean? Grace is when you deserve something, maybe punishment or retribution of some sort, and it's withheld. That's what grace is. Truth is pretty easy to understand. Truth is God's word how God's word tells us to live, God's instructions, God's commands. We will not be partial in extending grace and truth. Two times a year, I ask my family, Cynthia and I ask my family, um, to come out and to clean our yard. We call it family work day. And that sounds really great to us, and we have fun doing it. The kids hate it. I mean, they really do. They got ice cream afterwards, okay? Um, so we, we paid them. I guess that's breaking some child labor laws, Cynthia. But anyway, we paid them with ice cream to go out and to pick up pine cones and sticks in the yard. And we do this in April, and then we do it in September. Make no mistake, everything that happens in the yard between April and September and September and April is my job, okay? Make no mistake. But twice a year, we ask the family to get out there in the yard. And we had fun yesterday, and they cleaned up. But one of the things that I do is I always make sure that my, my blower and my weed eater and my lawnmower are working well. And so one of the things I have to do is I have to have the proper mix of gas and oil for my blower and my weed eater. I don't know anything about anything, but I know that for some reason, those two engines need gas and oil mix. I do know that, so they've lasted a few years, so that's good. But I, I also know, because I read the instruction manual, and I usually have to Google search this every year, I know that there's 16 parts of gas to one part of oil. Did you see I had to think about that for a minute? <laughs> and you mix those together. It's a lot of gas and a little bit of oil that you mix together. 
And if you do that, the engines work with great efficiency. In the church, you know what we need to operate with for best efficiency? Is full grace and full truth. It's full truth and full grace. Not a little bit of grace and a lot of truth. Some of you are like, that's the church I grew up in, man. There was no grace. It was all truth. You're not doing these things. This is what God says. You're not, you're not, you're not. But it's also not just a little bit of truth and all grace. And it's certainly not one or the other. Jesus operated with both. The gospel writer John speaks of this. Take a look at John 1, 14 and 17. He says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus, by the way. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. He doesn't say mixed with grace and truth. He doesn't say that he had some grace and some truth. The word there, full, is used because Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's how we should operate, church. We should operate, our method should be when we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with life, when we're dealing with issues that are complicated and messy, we should operate with full grace and full truth. Some of you grew up in churches where it was all truth and no grace, and that leads to legalism, doesn't it? That leads to a stifled spiritual growth. Some of you grew up in churches where it was all grace and no truth. You know what that is? <laughs> That's a country club right there. <laughs> Just go golfing. Go play tennis. Go to the pool. Be a member there. Because if it's all grace and no truth, man, it's just an inch deep, isn't it? We are called by Jesus to be on mission. We are called by God to be on mission. But we're called to operate with full grace and full truth. Now, I want to warn you, when we do this, when we get really good at this, there's danger ahead. My buddies and I, we miss the under construction sign, okay? I don't want you to miss the under construction sign because when you mix those two, when you combine that great mission with this operating with full grace and full truth, it's gonna get messy. Take a look at point number three. The combination of our mission and our method demands that we choose as a church to live with the messy mix of religious hypocrites and worldly sinners. How do you like that? It demands that we mix the combination of the two and that we get comfortable with mixing those two. I realize I'm probably going to offend all of you here today because I covered the gamut. Why did I use such strong words? Because those of you who just walked into church over the course of these last few weeks, you look at religious leaders and what do you think of? You think they're hypocrites, don't you? I had a pastor once say, you know what, you who have just became Christians or maybe you're searching for Christ, I, I realize you think that we're hypocrites and you don't want to join us because you think we're hypocrites. Join the club. We're all hypocrites. If we have sin, and Romans says that we all have sin, we're all hypocrites. And I know that there are some of you who grew up very religiously who think that people that come in with all of their junk behind them, all the brokenness that they have, you think they're sinners. They are, and so are you. So the combination of our mission and our method demands that we choose as a church to live with and be okay with the messy mix 
of religious hypocrites and worldly sinners. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. We, some of us, myself included, aren't going to like it at times. But that is what God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to be. He called the first century church to that, and it hasn't changed. He's called the ecclesia, the movement of God, to exist in this messy middle. And it's going to get messy. It got messy in the first church. Look at Acts 15 with me, if you would, this morning. The writer of Acts, Luke, records what happened in the first century church, and it's really interesting what happened in these first few verses of Acts 15. Take a look, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers. That word brothers means the Christ followers there. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, great. You came into church today, and I'm talking about circumcision. Isn't that just great? Aren't you blessed? Circumcision, okay, I, you know, I won't go into that. And by the way, if you have problems with this message, you can send all your comments to Pastor Cody, okay? Um, so, here's what I want to point out. Circumcision in this instance represents a spiritual practice. It represents a spiritual practice. And some of the religious leaders, after Jesus had gone and after the spread of the gospel, were going, wait a minute, Jesus said that the gospel, the good news, salvation is for all men. It's not just for us Jewish people anymore. These Gentiles that live in the Netherlands, they're coming here and they're becoming Christ followers, but they're not circumcised. And so they bring up this point. Take a look at what happens, verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, we know where they fell, fell on the issue. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others, Paul and Barnabas, were early church leaders, by the way. Some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, where the church headquarters were, essentially, to the apostles and elders to ask about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they were declared all that God had done with them. This was good news, y'all. This was like 24 people got saved last week. It was good news. Verse 5, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, those are the, the religious hypocrites, they rose up and they said, It is necessary to circumcise them and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Really? Okay. Verse 6, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Verse 7, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles, they represent the worldly sinners, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did with us. And look at verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their heart by faith. He, God, made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their heart by faith. You know what Peter's saying there? Peter's saying, hey, guys, they came in, God changed their lives. 
This message of eternal salvation through faith in Jesus is not just for us anymore. It's for the whole world to hear. And once they've made that decision, there is no difference between us and them. Listen, I want you to hear this. He wasn't bemoaning or degrading the spiritual practice that was important to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. But he was telling them that it was unnecessary for these new ones who had just come to Christ. Take a look at what happens, verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul didn't say it wasn't unimportant. He said that it doesn't matter because they've become Christ followers. I know that there are some of you in here today, and you maybe years ago became a Christ follower, and you went to church, and all of a sudden, in a matter of moments, some leader in the church wanted you to act and look a certain way. Paul is saying, what matters is salvation through Christ. Now, he goes on, if you continue reading, he says that there are important issues, and I'm not saying at all that we should ignore issues in life. All I'm saying is that we as a church, if we are going to be on mission, if we're going to be on method, we've got to get comfortable with the fact that there are going to be folks who come in here, and maybe you're some of those folks who've come in here recently, and your past is broken, and it's messy, and it's dirty, and it's stinky. And we as a church need to get real comfortable with that if we are going to be the ecclesia, the movement of God. If we are going to go out in our community like we're doing right now, Carrie just texted me, they're already at Honeyhorn helping set up. If we're going to be in our community helping set up, they're, they're helping Deepwell with their 40th uh, uh, anniversary celebration. If we are going to help our community, if we're going to go out and meet the needs, we'll talk about that next week, then we've got to get real comfortable with the fact that it's going to get messy. It's going to get real messy. And you know what? Some of you might say, but Todd, I'm just not comfortable with that. I understand. Quite honestly, I'm not either. I already said that I like things nice and neat and in order. But you know what? Who, who am I to say that we can't help clean up the mess? Who am I to say that we need to ignore the mess? And who are you who say your religious practices don't matter? We need to get comfortable with living in the messy middle of what God will do among us. What does all that mean this morning? So what? What does it all mean? You know what it means? It means that there are some of you who are here today um, who maybe need to deal with God about getting over some of the things that you think are appropriate. I described this a few years ago by saying that um, we need to be a place where people can come here under construction and feel like that they can belong and believe before we expect them to behave. You know, God's Holy Spirit working in their lives and in your life and God's word of truth will begin to change them. We don't have to demand change. Change will come as the Holy Spirit works in their life. 
So some of you maybe need to give up what your preconceived idea of church is. Some of you need to receive healing because you've been hurt by the church or church authorities in the past. But some of you just need to make decisions to jump in. It's the last point, the bottom line, the takeaway this morning. What do I do now? Are you all in? Hey, I realize a message, message like this is very dangerous for a pastor to preach. Because I may have people come up to me and go, man, this is not the place for me. I get that. I'll help you find a place for you. Because I believe that God has called us to be on mission and on method. And to do this the way that he intended as a movement of him in our community. Some of you need to be all in. Some of you need to say, yeah, I, I've been messing around. I've been testing the waters, but I have not jumped in fully. You know what? There's 30 projects that you can get involved in. Some of you who have been Christians for a long time, you've been Christ followers for a long time, you can go serve your community this afternoon. You can leave here and go to Honeyhorn and help set up and display the message of Jesus Christ to our world. Sign up for one of those projects. For some of you, it means finding out more. Maybe you're new. Maybe you go, hey, I'm one of those worldly sinners. I want to find out more. I love it. Come on. We've got an open house coming up, and that's for everybody, uh, coming up on April 28th at 6 p.m. right here. Some of you have been here a long time, and you've just never taken the step towards membership. We're going to do that on Cinco de Mayo, May the 5th, between 1 and 3 p.m. right here with the core. I want you to hear this. If we are going to do this, if we are going to be a place where we accept the fact that we are all under construction, we're going to need leaders. We're going to need workers. Jesus looked over the, the hills of Jerusalem and said, there's not enough laborers. And I could say the same thing about our community and our church. There just aren't enough people to work in the field. We need leaders. We need volunteers. Much of my message today was taken and put in my own words from a section of Andy Stanley's new book called Deep and Wide. I want to encourage you to go get it and read it. But Andy Stanley says in this book, as he kind of sums things up, he says this, The church needs leaders who are willing to do whatever is necessary to ensure that we hand it off to the next generation in better shape than we found it. We, I, you, me, us all together, we have a responsibility to steward this movement well. We have a responsibility to keep the movement of God and to pray for the movement of God and to be involved as workers and, and leaders and volunteers in the movement of God well and to be okay that it's going to get messy. So I'm asking you today to join in, to be a part or to not be a part, but I'm asking you to seek what God is telling you. Seek that out and respond. Don't just ignore what God is telling you. That is being the establishment. Being the movement is listening to the Spirit of God and acting on what He is telling you to do today, how He is telling you to get involved in the church today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're on the move in our community. Thank you, God, that you offered us grace on the cross. God, we celebrated that last week. Thank you so much that you gave us Jesus to die on the cross, that you took our sin away. And God, thank you that you rose again, establishing the fact that you have the power over death. 
Thank you that you're the God of life. And thank you that you're the God of second chances. There are so many of us in this room, me included, who needed a second and third and fourth and 2,000th chance. And you are the God of second chances. Thank you for that, God. I pray that you would challenge those who are in here. Challenge me, challenge us as a church community to be praying about being the movement of you. God, I pray that we would run from things that establish ourselves and that we would just be about your message to our world. God, I pray for those who need to make a choice today. Some of them need to make a choice of whether or not they want to be a part of this movement. And God, I pray that you would give them clarity and wisdom. And God, I pray for many people who want to jump in, who want to be a part of the solution, who want to be part of the answer, who want to be part of continuing the movement of you on Hilton Head Island. God, I pray for many people who step up to the plate who say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Let me, let me join in. Let me become a member. Let me serve. Let me find out more. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts. God, that you would allow us to have enough courage to say yes to however you're speaking to us today. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray.